This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to another Voices of Vapors podcast series where we just discuss tobacco harm reduction, including the use of electronic cigarettes. The public, uh, public Health England and the Royal College of Physicians had found these products to be 95% less harmful than combustible cigarettes. But here across the pond, um, since 20, 2007, since they kind of came to the United States market, um, electronic cigarettes and vaping devices have been subject to local, state, and federal taxes and regulations, and even prohibition in some cases. There's approximately 3 million vapors who have used these electronic cigarettes to quit smoking, and it's very unfortunate with what public health is doing. Today, I have another female and that has done a lot of awesome work on electronic cigarettes and vaping devices, as well as other SIN um, products. Um, Michelle Minton is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. She specializes in consumer policy, um, covering issues that um, include gambling, tobacco harm reduction, cannabis legalization, alcohol, and nutrition. She's the author of numerous studies that looks at the effectiveness and unintended consequences of sin taxes. She's been published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and USA Today, as well as peer-reviewed journals. She's um, regularly appears in the news media to discuss the unintended laws um, and rules designed to save adults from their own choices, which not only conflicts with the principle of individual liberty, but often the goals of public health. She holds a bachelor's, uh, bachelor's of Arts from the Johns Hopkins University and is com- currently completing her Master of Science degree in Applied Nutrition at the University of New England. She's also the author of a recently published CEI um, issue analysis, Fear Profiteers and how, cigarette e-cig- or how E-Cigarette Panic Benefits Public Health Activists. Thanks for coming on today, Michelle. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes. Well, okay. And um, it's always my first question. How did you find yourself a policy um, expert for electronic <laughs> cigarettes and vaping devices? Yeah. So around CEI, we call it my, my they call my wheelhouse the sin industry. So okay. it's, you know, and pretty much anything you can put a sin tax on or anything that's being discussed uh, for putting a sin tax on. So tobacco, alcohol, food, all that stuff. Really, it, it just, I started working in insurance, which was not fun at yeah. all. It wasn't something I was terribly interested in, but I had a great boss who was like, okay, when you're not working on this stuff, you can go write about whatever you're interested in. And that was 11 years ago. So for the last decade plus, I've been writing about what I'm interested in, which is gambling, alcohol, um, and really issues of science, because a lot of these policy questions are issues of science, and that's something at heart. I am interested in science-based policy. So that's really how I kind of fell into it and just sort of snowballed over the years. Okay, exactly. Now, I, I know they, they've kind of put me here at Heartland and kind of the same thing. Um, so let's talk about Fear Profiteers. It's fantastic policy analysis, um, and it really kind of shows this public health activism. Now, can you kind of explain to our listeners how this policy project came about and, like, what are some of the, like, alarming things you found in your research? Right. So as, as most of my incredibly large papers do, this one started out with what I thought was a really simple question. So I noticed that there were about a year ago, a ton of stories coming out about Juul and teenagers, teenagers using Juul and this, this uh, swell of panic that was be- I was beginning to notice in the news media. And I was wondering where it was coming from, because all the data that I was looking at was showing that teenagers are um, smoking cigarettes at a lower rate, the lowest that's ever been on record, uh, and that all of the research on e-cigarettes and adolescents shows that very a very small percentage of teenagers regularly use e-cigarettes. Those um, back before 
two or three months ago and the CDC released, released some preliminary data for this year, you know, the numbers of teenagers even experimenting, so we're talking about once a month, that's someone at a party hands you a vape, and then you're on a survey saying, have you vaped in the last month? And you're like, yeah, I guess I did. Uh, that was you know, that was under 8% of adolescents, and obviously it's lower for middle schoolers than it is for high schoolers, and some of those high schoolers are of legal age to vape or smoke. You know, they're 18 years old. So, you know, I was really wondering, where is all this panic coming from? And as I started digging into it, I realized that it appeared to be a coordinated effort at creating a panic between public health agencies, um, some public health advocates, some people at universities, academics, et cetera, and, and mostly concentrated in the U.S. It's much larger, this uh, push for panic in the U.S. than it is in England, which is why you have, you know, the government in England saying, if you're a smoker, you should definitely switch to e-cigarettes. Where in the U.S., we have not the government, but some researchers saying, you may as well just stick to smoking. E-cigarettes are worse, which is insane. Yes, it is insane. Um, why is public health doing this? Aren't they supposed to? I mean, I know Stanton Glantz is the famed anti-vapor, anti-tobacco guy from University of California, San Francisco. And he's the one who said that the e and he actually put it in writing that they would be better off just smoking. Um, and you actually, in your op-ed, you had mentioned the heightened alarmism of these unknown risks versus the relative risk of electronic cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Public health groups are supposed to protect public health and promote these products. Why, is, why isn't that the case in the United States? So, so they're not supposed to promote any products. Really what public health should be doing, what you know, it originally set out to do, which protects people from unknown risks, right? Diseases that were in dirty water or food or something. You know, they were making a choice thinking this is a healthy option, not knowing the hidden dangers. Uh, what it has turned into public health at large over the last 50 years is trying to protect adults from their own decisions. They have full information knowing, yes, something is riskier than something else, but I still want to do it. And public health is trying to stop them from taking any kinds of risk, which, you know, violates all kinds of uh, principles about autonomy, individual liberty, et cetera. <clears throat> so what has happened is public health in the U.S. specifically, and, and not on every issue, but really when it comes to ingestibles, tobacco, alcohol, food, they see any risk as being unacceptable. So they don't see the spectrum of, well, e-cigarettes are, you know, 99% less harmful than cigarettes, but there's still that 1% harm. And for them, they see no reason why an adult would want to use nicotine and have this increased 1% risk chance. If they don't factor in someone's pleasure or someone's addiction, for example, it's completely different when you talk about something like sexually transmitted diseases, where it's called... Um, uh, harm reduction. They recognize that people are going to be sexually active. They're not going to be able to stop that. Uh, and so they try and put people towards a safer way to do that, you know, using protection. Yeah. But they don't do that with nicotine for some reason. Uh, I, I can't explain why that is. I think it's just pure ideology. Uh, people in public health see tobacco companies as evil, as um, forcing people through advertising to use their product, getting them hooked, and then having them for life. So they see it as a threat. That they want to stop everybody from doing and they're willing frankly they're willing to sacrifice the lives of all the adults who are currently addicted to cigarettes in order to stop any young people from becoming addicted to nicotine which again if you look at the just pure numbers you know we're not saying adults are better than children children are better than adults you look at pure numbers net benefit comes from adults switching to e-cigarettes and teenagers who would have smoked using e-cigarettes instead of smoking now if, if young people who have no intention of ever smoking or using nicotine, you know, get hooked on e-cigarettes. That is a problem. 
But all the data still seems to indicate that that is not what is happening, that very, you know, we're talking one, two percent of the adolescents who vape have never smoked a cigarette. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Actually, let's touch some into that. So there was two major studies that, and I know you've done some of the research in it. What came out of these studies? Can you, I mean, you talked a little bit about it earlier, but like, I know one of the things that I was looking at was you're right. They they didn't bring up whether these were 18 year olds or whether they were actual minors. Um, They also, I mean, they didn't really, one of the things that they keep saying is that kids are going to get addicted to electronic cigarettes and then they're going to move into combustible cigarettes. But is there any data that actually shows that? No, there's, there's no real data. And part of it is very difficult because we're, what we're talking about is the gateway effect, right? And this yeah. has always been virtually impossible to <clears throat> to figure out what is a gateway and then what is just someone always had the intention of doing, you know, consuming a different kind of drug. For example, someone who uses heroin later in life usually doesn't start out as a teenager using heroin. You know, they don't jump straight into it. They start with cigarettes and then they go to maybe marijuana and they drink alcohol and then eventually they get to heroin or meth or whatever it is. Um, so teenagers, rebellious, they like to experiment, all this other stuff, they might have an intention to do something, let's say, quote unquote, bad or adult or whatever it is, rebellious. Um, in the past, 20 years ago, that was smoking. Now that there are e-cigarettes, honestly, it's a great thing in my mind that teenagers are recognizing, hey, I want to be rebellious, but I want to be rebellious in a safer way. So I'm going to choose e-cigarettes. That's awesome to me. I'm like, that is great of that generation to be making that choice. But the CDC's I can't call it a study. They just released some preliminary data from a survey that they do every single year. It's called the um, National Youth Tobacco Survey. And they ask all kinds of questions about e-cigarettes, tobacco, marijuana, loads of stuff. What they released a couple of months ago was just the preliminary data on e-cigarettes. And I think that was really just to bolster what the FDA was planning to do with e-cigarettes. because It it showed a huge increase, and it was a significant increase in the use of once-per-month vaping among high schoolers and middle schoolers. So a couple of months back, the CDC released pre- preliminary data, and that told us uh, a little bit of information about adolescent vaping. And the numbers were going up. What it doesn't show us is what the numbers are for adolescent smoking. And if it's going up, that could be a problem. That's something that should be investigated. But all the information for the last 10 years, uh, really the last eight years, has shown a significant increased decline in youth smoking. So Right now, the information doesn't seem to support the panic that, that's coming out. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you appreciate the value of free markets and the virtue of individual liberty. And we at the Heartland Institute appreciate you as a listener. And now we have a favor to ask. If you want to help support this podcast, increase its quality and help grow its audience, you can leave us a review on iTunes. The more reviews we get, especially positive ones, the easier it is for people to stumble across the free market message Heartland provides. So please go to iTunes and search for Heartland Daily Podcast and click on Reviews. And if you listen to only some of our podcasts, such as Jesse Hathaway's Budget and Tax News Podcast, Teresa Mull's School Reform News Podcast, or In the Tank Podcast with Donnie Kendall and John Noderft, you can search for those and leave even more reviews. And if you want to do even more, you can donate to the Heartland Institute. Just go to heartland.org. You'll find a big orange donate button in the upper right. You can give online quickly and securely. And even set up a regular schedule of giving. Your support is what keeps Heartland and this podcast strong. Please consider helping us out today. 
Well, that's exactly like my next question. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they, the public health officials have decried this youth vaping epidemic based off of this kind of sketchy data that they're using. Um, and the news media has been really extensively covering this. So I saw an article, I think it was yesterday, um, and the FDA tweeted it um, about a parent who sent their kid to rehab because of his jewel habit. And the FDA has also hinted on some regulations that would include limiting flavored um, limiting the flavored electronic cigarettes to only adult regulated like stores. So why is this alarmism so bad and what should be done to address the so-called epidemic? And I'm using air quotes there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the problem is, and this seems to be intentional, that people in public health <clears throat> are trying to scare people about nicotine itself. And nicotine is not um, really that significantly harmful to the body, even to adolescents. It's very similar as a stimulant <clears throat> in its effect to, uh, to caffeine. Now, the effects are not, you know, wonderful. They're not terribly, like, detrimental, but they're not, you know, they do have some effect on brain development of adolescents. And we know the effect on adults, you know, as it stimulates your nervous system and all of that. Uh, the thing is, if you look at something like caffeine, we don't panic. We don't have hundreds of news stories every week about teenagers going into Starbucks and getting giant lattes. Yeah, that's something that maybe we should be concerned about, but the panic or the level of fear and engagement when it comes to teenage use of caffeine is much more reasonable compared to its effect. With nicotine, however, it's completely outsized. The, the panic is outsized compared to the effect of nicotine. The problem, as you, as you mentioned earlier, is that people assume that if children, adolescents, start using nicotine, they're going to use it for the rest of their lives and they're going to progress to smoking. We really need to get better data on this. So like I said, all of the research that's been done, and it has been quite a lot, shows that teenagers who use e-cigarettes, especially if it's just experimentation once a month kind of a thing or less, they do not go on to smoke cigarettes. Maybe some of them continue uh, with e-cigarettes. And if they want to quit, if they do become addicted, that is something that should be, we should want them to come forward. We shouldn't make them feel like they're doing you know, like I said before, heroin, yeah. they should be able to say, hey, look, I started using this. It was just, I just wanted to try it. And now I'm addicted and I, I kind of want to stop doing this because it's expensive or I don't like it, whatever it is, or I'm afraid of the long-term health effects. They should be able to go to their parents and say that without, without fear. But we're turning it into this like ludicrous <clears throat> underbelly drug that teenagers are using. And I think it's probably very detrimental. And honestly, I think all the news stories about Juul and how bad it is and teenagers is only making it more attractive to teenagers. I think that might be the explanation if there was a bump <clears throat> in teen use of e-cigarettes. I think it could probably almost entirely be explained by the fact that the FDA, the CDC, the news media, and loads of public health agencies are the greatest advertiser yeah. for Juul, for kids who want to be rebellious, who know that kids are smart. You know, they they can kind of, I think, you know, I remember the day when I was young and we would watch maybe 2020 or something or Dateline or whatever, and there would be some scare story. Your teenagers are doing this. And I would laugh because it was hilariously, uh, you know, it was just ridiculous what, what, what I was seeing in real life. And I think that's what teens are seeing with e-cigarettes. They're saying, haha, you know, you think it's this horrible, crazy thing that we're doing. We don't, we're not like smoking all day long, like hiding it in our sweaters or whatever. Um, but it gives this, it gives it this new rebellious veneer. And so they can still you know, have their rebellion without too much risk. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a perfect way to put it that at, um, and, 
um, we've I've worked with a couple of, like t- uh, tobacco harm reduction groups, and I know that they, somebody's actually trying to go through like Twitter and identify how many times the CDC and the FDA have like provided <laughs> advertisements for Juul versus like how much mm-hmm. Juul was ab- actually pro- you know promoting their own products. So, and it really I think is really unfortunate too that this overheight in kids scare. I really think you know it's going to restrict adults' access um, to products that could potentially save their life. That's the biggest um, threat, and that's what I mentioned when I said pe- people in public health seem willing to sacrifice the lives of adult smokers yep. uh, for the sake, you know, adult smokers who, the, the estimates vary, but it's something like a third up to a half of people who smoke are going to die from that habit. Uh, that's, a, that's a significant risk. Uh, and then you have the way, 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 you know, one to five percent of the risk with e-cigarettes and the smaller percent of teenagers who are using it. They're saying, well, we think the threat to teenagers from e-cigarettes is teeny tiny percentage um, to the small number of teenagers who are doing it is more important than the deaths that will occur for adults. And that's that's the choice they have to make when they say, well, we're going to restrict access. We're going to make it harder. We're going to make them less attractive. And we're going to make it harder for them to get and use. What that means is fewer adults are going to switch, especially when they're being told that they're as bad as smoking. Yeah. There's no reason to switch because it's there's a huge – I think people who've never – talk to a smoker. Try, I have a friend who's in her late fifties and I've been trying to, I've tried every kind of device to help her switch. <clears throat> There's a huge technological hurdle to get over. It's a weird thing. You have to learn how to charge and take care of and all this other stuff. The getting over that hurdle, the, the thing that gets people over that hurdle is the idea that they'll be able to maybe, instead of going outside to smoke a cigarette, they'll be able to vape indoors yep. or, and also that it's safer for them. So, and in some, some cases it's a little bit cheaper depending on how they use their device or what device they use. But you have to order it online most of the time. You know, you can't find the brand or the type you want in stores. Yep. There are hurdles to using e-cigarettes. And that means people are less likely to do it. And that's a bad thing. And with all of this talk of increased regulation uh, and all this talk of how dangerous e-cigarettes are, it makes the hurdle even higher. And that means that especially the older you get, generally, people who are older are less likely to switch. And that means more people are going to die. And that's not being... It's really not being talked about enough that teenagers who use e-cigarettes, you know, unless they're doing something really weird, you know, people modify their e-cigarettes, but teenagers who use e-cigarettes are very unlikely to die from that particular habit. People who smoke, you know, it's a 50-50 flip a coin. You might die from that particular habit. And this is what we're talking about with relative risk. Yes, these things should be regulated. You know, most consumer products are regulated. We got to make sure what's going into them is what the manufacturers say is going into them. However, e-cigarettes should not be regulated in the exact same way as cigarettes because the regulation on cigarettes is 100% aimed at getting people not to use them. We don't want that to happen with e-cigarettes. We want people who are smokers to use e-cigarettes and then, you know, hopefully they'll get off of that as well. Maybe they won't, you know, it's something they enjoy. We don't do this with caffeine. And this is what I keep going back to caffeine. It blows my mind that we don't have all these huge programs to like slowly wean adults off caffeine because that's an acceptable addiction in our society in a lot of ways. It's, uh, you know, it can be considered more addictive than nicotine because the withdrawal symptoms from caffeine are more significant generally than they are with nicotine. But for whatever reason, big tobacco, people are scared of that. And you'll notice this in all of the news stories. Every time there's a story about e-cigarettes, it's connected to big tobacco, even though a lot of these companies like Juul, formerly Juul, was just a small business, a technology company, had never had anything to do with cigarettes or tobacco. They only ever made e-cigarettes. Uh, but by connecting it to big, to big, excuse me, big tobacco, it scares people. It sounds evil and nefarious. 
uh, and it convinces them that the government is just their knight in shining armor. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a very important point to make. I know I was doing research in, um, like with the big tobacco connection, like in 2010 when FDA was – that was when they were telling us that, oh, they're just as harmful and they don't help you quit smoking because that was what they were using to get people not – you know, there's – scare, you know, fear-mongering tactics. But the companies they were issuing, like, you know, warning letters to were like Johnson Creek. <laughs> I mean, these were e-liquid, like, manufacturers, very, you know, not big tobacco at all. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if FDA, with some, with some of their regulations, with the deeming regulations, and now, you know, flash forward to 2018, the f- five companies that they went after were, besides Juul, at that point, were all big tobaccos. It was like Reynolds, Altria. So it's interesting, like, how – but. I also think it's symbolic, too, of big tobacco is moving towards less harmful products um, that they've looked at, uh, you know, e-cigarettes and vaping kind of as a gimmick. And then they realized, oh, wow, these are actually helping people quit smoking. Yeah, as I understand it, PMI, Philip Morris International, has been shifting most of its energy into developing less harmful um, cigalikes or we call it heat, not burn products. The Icos, for example, which I've um, I've seen in Europe, I bought one for my 50 year old neighbor, uh, or my, my neighbor in her fifties. Uh, it's very cool product. I think they are trying to change themselves, you know, from a tobacco company into technology companies because you know, they, they're a business. They want to make money. So they're going to do and offer products that their consumers want. And consumers are terrified, uh, especially the ones who are already addicted to nicotine are terrified of the effects of smoking yeah. and they want something safer. That's why, every, that's why there was this, um, huge increase in use of e-cigarettes because consumers have been dying for literally dying for a safer alternative that is similar to the experience of smoking. So the large companies are trying to do that. But if you, you know, what's very interesting is that up till recently, if you look at the way big tobacco responded, even the big tobacco companies that have e-cigarette products responded to regulation, they were fairly in favor of it in a lot of ways, you know, some in favor of certain regulations, some not in favor of others, but they were pro-regulation. And, and this is partially because when you regulate an industry, it makes it harder for new companies to get in. Yeah. Uh, it makes it harder for people to compete. You can keep your prices high and you can keep your customers. Uh, so this, whenever there's a proposed regulation, my first thought is always, which, which industry, which business is going to benefit from this? And then I look and see what their position is on it. Uh, you know, and this, the regulation that the FDA is talking about, all the scare tactics being used by public health, is hugely beneficial to tobacco companies, the traditional old school selling cigarettes tobacco companies. And every time the FDA announces some planned new regulation, you can just go straight over and look at the stocks for tobacco companies and they shoot up because people know that increased regulation means fewer people are going to switch from smoking to e-cigarettes. Yep, that's exactly right. So, okay, for um, should e-cigarette users be worried? And what advice would you have for them, especially going into 2019, when I think you know we're going to see a slew of regulations coming from the federal and the state and the local levels, as you, as you saw, you know, in 2018 with flavor bans, Tobacco 21 regulating these as um, as combustible cigarette products. New York's actually got a bill on to require an exploding device warning on there. Let's make these even scarier so we don't switch. Yeah, uh, I'm not terribly worried about current e-cigarette users. And this is the wonderful thing about humanity is that we will, especially when it comes to technology, when there is a market for something, people who make it will find a way to get it to you. And, you know, we have the internet. Australia tried to do an entire ban on e-cigarettes and they're just revisiting, lifting that now because it's a complete failure. Prohibition is always a complete failure. People will find a way to get what they want. I'm most worried about the people who are 
smokers now who've never tried e-cigarettes or the young people who are going to eventually become smokers who may not know about or be interested in the option of e-cigarettes because those are the people who will continue to smoke forever and, you know, in huge numbers die because of that particular habit. That's what I'm worried about, you know, as an overall public health issue. Um, but individuals who want to use e-cigarettes will, you know, their particular brand might not be available in a couple of years because the more popular you get as a brand like Juul, the more concerned you have to be about regulation and the hammer coming down from the government. Yep. But there will always be a small company rising up behind them to take their place. The problem with that is you know, small companies coming out of nowhere, people saying this doesn't have a reputation. I don't know this, but that it, it makes things less safe. When you have a large company that has a reputation to protect uh, they are more careful about their products. And you have people buying online from other countries. We have no idea what's going into those. So that could be a problem as well. And the ex- and something I've said, you know, the exploding e-cigarette thing is <clears throat> that almost never happens. Well, first of all, it almost never happens at all. But it never happens with the type of e-cigarettes that you, the pod, we call them pods that you, you know, you have an e-cigarette that you charge and then you attach a pod uh, to it and that has the nicotine in it. The ones that explode are these, um, they call them mods. They're modified giant e-cigarettes that people remove a safety chip from in order to get those enormous clouds of e-cigarettes. Those are the only e-cigarettes that I'm aware of that have been involved in any sort of explosion. And that's because they literally removed the safety like chip from the e-cigarette. And you're going to see more of that. We will definitely see more of this, I'm sure, in the future as you make it harder for people to get what they want on the market. They're going to start doing it at home. This is exactly the same thing that happened with alcohol, happens with all types of drugs that are prohibited. Is people, you know, bathtub gin. They try to do it at home, do it on their own. And people make mistakes. They poison people. Uh, They have things that explode. That's just going to happen the less we make it possible for companies, legal, regulated companies on the market, not doing anything shady, to offer products to consumers. Exactly. Yeah, the, uh, the exploding one. I know when they, the deeming regulations and vape shops can't help people, you know, put their coil into the more, you know, uh, larger um, electronic vaping devices. So um, do you have any last words for our listeners? Or Wait, no, actually, no. Edit that, guys. Um, where, can we more, um, find, <laughs> where can we find more information about your work? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just my first and last name, Michelle Minton. Or you can visit my uh, organization's website, cei.org. Awesome. And do you have any last words? Uh, Just, you know, keep on making your own choices and living your life, I guess. Freedom. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you for joining me today, Michelle. Um, Listeners, thank you for tuning into another uh, episode of our Voices of Vapors podcast series. For more podcasts, including this series, please visit heartland.org. To learn more about electronic cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction, please visit our alcohol and tobacco page at heartland.org. Thank you again for listening.